This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning, everybody. You know, I was just thinking, it's a good thing this series is not any longer than four weeks. There would be no room left on the stage for anything except for props. So, uh, welcome to everyone. If I didn't meet you on the way in, my name is Ron. If this is your first time here, I'd love to just to chat with you for a minute. So uh, I'll be hanging out in the lobby afterwards. And uh, boy, we have a busy morning. We have lots of things to learn. And so I'm just going to get right down to it. So take out your programs, if you would. On the way in, you passed a sign up on the wall that says that new life exists to connect people to God and others, develop them as followers of Christ and move them into lifestyles of service. If you want to say that in three short words, it's connect, develop, and serve. And uh, that's a great thing. That's what we do. That's what we work on every single Sunday during our worship times. It's what we work on in the middle of the week in our life groups. And uh, so it all begins with us getting connected with God and connected with each other. And so this is how this little card gets that whole thing started. It's called a connect card. And so if we're going to, as a church, be able to help you get better connected to God and better connected to other people, we have to be able to connect with you. So if you would, while I get some things set on the stage, if you will take the little box that's on the start here side, put your name and at least your email address in there, then we can begin a connection with you. I will tell you, for those of you who are here for the first time, that we will uh, we'll not send you a bunch of junk mail. We're not going to give your email address to anybody else. Uh, we will act with total integrity about that, but it gives us the opportunity to, be, to begin to build a bridge with you. So if you would do that, then hang on to that. I'll tell you what you can do with that. At the very end of the service, we'll collect those. Now, while you're doing that, I'm going to do some work up here. Okay. Are you ready for the doors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to learn some stuff. We're in the middle of a series of sermons... Uh, on baggage. Have you seen any of the signs on the back of the buses around town that have the baggage sign on there? I was following one just the other day. You know, the truth is, the first Sunday, which was two Sundays ago, we laid out the truth about baggage that we tend to collect it. And, and, and the next thing you know, we've, we're sort of making our way through life and we're carrying a bunch of stuff that we were never intended to carry and it slows us down and it it affects our relationships. It affects oftentimes our career moves. Certainly affects how we parent our children and what kind of experience they have in life. And the deal is that God wants us to be baggage free. And that's what we've been exploring. On the first week, we talked about three prayers that we can pray that will begin to cut those bags out of our lives and enable us to begin to experience some real freedom, which is what God designed for us to live in. Then last week, we hauled out Goliath. By the way, putting Goliath by a standard-sized door puts a little perspective on him, does it not? You imagine that guy coming to your house and trying to get through your door, let alone stand up inside your house? Yeah. We talked about the giants of addiction and how with, by tapping into the power of God, the limitless power of God, that we can bring those giants down in our lives and we can live free from addiction. This morning I'm going to talk to you about emotional baggage. 
And there's not a person in this room. You may say, I don't have any addictions, and we talked a little bit about what some of those other addictions are, but every single one of us struggles with emotional baggage. And I want to tell you right up front, emotional baggage in our lives tends to come from three messages that you and I hear consistently, sometimes from within. We say these things to ourselves. Sometimes our parents sort of laid them on us and taught us how to think like this. Or it may have been a bully at the school playground who, who, who started saying these things into our lives. But the truth is, we hear these messages over and over and over again. And the problem is, they're not true. They are lies. But they're lies that get into our lives and somehow get a grip on us. And that's why they become baggage, because we can't let go of them, or we don't let go of them. And so we pack around these lies. And let's take a look. The very first one is you don't belong. You ever heard that? You don't belong. I know when you were a kid, you wanted to be with the in crowd, right? Because then you would feel like you really belong. All the research, anything I've ever read from any, any study that's ever been done, the primary reason why people get into drugs, the primary reason why people get into gangs is because they want to belong. I was listening to the news about three weeks ago, and a fellow by the name of One Go walked into Oikos University and shot the place up and killed seven people. You know what they said about him? Listen, he was a loner. You know what happens when people feel like they don't belong? You, you can do some really desperate things. Thank God most, most of us don't do those. But even the guy who shot his wife and turned the gun on himself in downtown Petaluma last week. You know what? Not the right way to deal with it. But he was getting a message because his wife was divorcing him. You know what the message was? You don't belong in this relationship. Does it make a difference who you are? I want to read you a passage of Scripture. It comes out of the life of King Saul. This was a guy who was the king. If anyone should feel secure, it should be the king, right? I mean, he's the top dog in the whole nation. And yet... Saul, King Saul, admitted to Samuel, who was a prophet, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was what? Afraid of the people. (laughs) He wanted to belong. He wanted to do what was popular with the people. And he was even willing to risk disobedience to God because he wanted to belong. Think Saul was carrying any emotional baggage? Lots of it. Door number two. You're not good enough. Any perfectionists in the house? I am. Yeah, most of you don't want to raise your hand, right? I am. I was born that way. You know, my mom tells me that I used to come to her before I could talk. And you know, if you know me, I learned to talk young, right? Because I still talk a lot. So I was like less than two. And I would come up to her if I got anything on my hands. And I would go. (laughs) Which is 18 months for please wash my hands so I can function. Yeah. 
You know, here's the thing about perfectionism. Perfectionism is one of those things that can not only mess up your life, it is so easy to mess up the lives of your kids. Because you not only give yourself the message you're not good enough, what's the message you give to your kids? Neither are you. And I don't care what you do, you never will be. Yeah. Well, there's a lady in the Bible that had never learned to silence this voice in her life. And she was a personal friend of Jesus, a very close personal friend of Jesus. And her name was Martha. And, and Jesus was coming to town, and Martha had invited Jesus to her house. Now, Martha believes that Jesus is God in human flesh, that he's the Messiah of the Jewish nation, and she has invited, number one, to her house. And if you're a perfectionist, and the Messiah is coming to your house, would that create any stress? What do you think? Everything had to be perfect. Everything. I mean, the the gas don't get any bigger than this. And Jesus comes. Now Martha has worried herself silly, cleaning the house and getting everything perfect. But now it's time for the meal, and the appetizers have to be just right, and the table settings have to be just right, and the flower arrangements have to be just right, and, and everything has to be timed, and it has to come out exactly right. And, and, and she's in there stressing out about this because it's all got to be just right. And, and she's struck with a thought. Okay, look at it here. They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her house. This is Jesus and his disciples. Her sister Mary sat at at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. And she came to Jesus and she said, I want you to notice how in one sentence she just cuts the legs right out from under not only her sister but Jesus as well. Just one sentence. She takes them both out. Here it is. Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Logically, does that make sense? Yeah, if that's the only thing that's going on. Now notice Jesus' response. No, she says, tell her to come and help me. I think there might have been some stress between Martha and Mary prior to this. Because Martha knows that Mary will not get up if she asks her to. But if Jesus, I mean, it's Jesus, right? Jesus says, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details, but there's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. You know something? Mary had learned to silence that voice. It didn't have to be perfect. Yeah. Door number three. You're not worthy. Anybody in here ever feel like you didn't just mess up, you messed up? I mean, really messed up? Yeah. You know what our minds, we all have this scale of sins, Right? And we all understand that being a mass murderer is significantly worse than stealing an M&M from your boss's office when he's not in there or she's not in there, right? We've got that figured out. And so we console ourselves if we can keep all of our sins in the M&M category. But you know the trouble is, I don't care who you are, Eventually, you do something that's not in the M&M category. 
Am I right? Yeah. Now what? You're not worthy. By the way, you know what all these voices have in common? What's the first two words? You're not. You're not. You're not something. They're all lies. You're not worthy. Well, Jesus encountered a lady who struggled with that voice in her life. He encountered her one day beside a well. The disciples had left. They had gone to town to get something to eat. And Jesus stayed at the well because he knew this lady was coming and he knew that she was struggling with this emotional baggage of feeling completely unworthy. And, and, and so she came and Jesus engaged her in some conversation. And when she figured out that he was a pastor, she wanted to play the Bible trivia game with him. Which is what people oftentimes do with a pastor when things are not right in their life. I know, I've been a pastor for 42 years. And when people find out I'm a pastor, hey pastor, you know, do you mind if I ask you a question about the Bible? Now what pastor is going to go, no, I don't like that. <laughs> you have to say Yes. Right? But you know something? They never ask me a question about the Bible that actually speaks into an area where they're struggling. It's called the pastor deflect. Right? That's what she did. Sir, you know, is our ancestors say we should worship God in this mountain and the Jews say we should worship God in Jerusalem. You know, I just want to do the right thing. Could you tell me which mountain we're supposed to be at? Well, Jesus puts up with that for a little bit, and then he goes right to the heart. He says, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the lady replied. You know, I'd be happy to go get him, but I don't really have a husband. Now, that's what you would tell the pastor, except this is Jesus, right? Notice what Jesus says. You're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you have had five husbands. I'm guessing that's probably more than anyone in this room. Might not be, but probably. You had five and you're not even married to the guy you're living with. Now, let, it's easy to make this lady feel guilty, but, but what I want you to see is there's a story behind this. You see, in, in the nation that she lived in, women could not divorce men, but men could divorce women. Something a little bit unfair about that right up front. What do you think? Yeah. So here's a lady who's been married five times. You know what all five husbands have said to her? You're not worthy. Five times. From the person closest to her, she's received the message, you're not worthy. And she thinks, oh man, and she marries guy number two. He says, you're not worthy. Guy number three, guy number four, guy number five. You know how many layers of unworthiness are underneath there? I mean, they're just stacked up. And the guy that she's living with now won't even marry her. That's even a worse message of being unworthy. She was carrying some big bags. Now, in a minute, we're going to talk about how to shut those doors. But I want to do three things with us in this transitionary period, and then we're going to take communion, okay? 
And let's walk through these three. I want to ask you a question, and it's the central question of our teaching this morning, and it's the question I'm asking myself. Are you ready? Here's the question. Have you closed the door to the negative things said about you in your life? I mean, have you closed the door to where you don't believe the things that people have said? I'm not going to teach you some positive mental attitude stuff. We're not going to go through some sort of a positive uh, sort of learning experience where you sort of tap into some positive power in your life. But we're going to talk about how to close those doors. But for right now, the question is, do any of those voices still speak into your life to any degree? Because if they do, and have a feeling that for most of us in the room, there's still some of those voices back there. Then, then God wants to set us free from that today. Second thing is an observation. We all appreciate the positive voices in our life. We all do, and we all get them. There are always people in our life who are saying positive things, but it's the negative voices that tend to stick. Are you on board with that? Yeah. I, I, it's one of the great inequities in life. I know this. I can teach on Sunday morning and I can have a hundred different people say to me, Pastor, that changed my life. I'm, I'm just so grateful for the truth that you spoke into my life from God's Word and it's changing my life. And I can pick up the phone on Monday and, and somebody who's got an agenda of their own just rip me. And if I'm not careful, I can forget all the hundred things that were said to me on Sunday and remember only this one voice that I got on Monday. Can you relate to that? That ever happened in your life? It does. Third thing I want to say to you is I want to make an apology to you. Because without meaning to and actually being misguided and not understanding God's word correctly, I realize that probably many of us have had experience in churches who gave us those three messages. Ever gone to a church and felt like you didn't belong there because you were a real sinner and that church was not for real sinners? Yeah. Ever gone to a church and when the pastor got done speaking, the message you came away with was you definitely weren't good enough? Yeah. Ever gone to a church and what you really felt like was you weren't worthy? I've done all those things. And you know, looking back at some of the messages that I preached, especially early in my ministry, I realized that I actually, even though I loved people, I actually gave them those messages. And what was worse is I gave them those messages in the name of Jesus. So I want to speak to us, those of us who've had that experience in church. One of the things God wants us to do this morning is He wants us to be able to let go of that. The voice of that pastor or those pastors who spoke that condemning message. Now, God's going to teach you the truth, and the truth is not always... God doesn't candy coat it and sugar coat it, and He's not going to shield you from negative truth. He's going to tell you the truth, but He's going to tell it to you. In fact, we're going to go to a passage in just a minute where God's going to teach us the truth, but He's going to tell us the the rest of the truth 
that becomes life-changing, dynamic, and transformational. So we're going to take communion this morning, and you can see we have communion tables uh, around the, the auditorium. And as we get ready to partake of communion, I want to share with you that communion is a statement of faith. Did you know that? The Bible says that when you take communion, you are proclaiming. It's as if you were saying something, even though your mouth is not speaking. You are proclaiming the Lord's death. What does that mean? Well, in the context of what I'm teaching us this morning, it means that when we take communion, it means that we are making a statement of faith, and the statement of faith is this, that Jesus came and His life, His death, and His resurrection changed all of this. That there's something about Christ that enables us to silence the voices of condemnation and criticism and unworthiness. And that opens a brand new door for us. And we don't ever want to forget that Jesus changed everything. So as we go to the communion tables this morning, Jesus has a passage of Scripture. And I want to tell you right up front, this is not an easy passage of Scripture I'm going to read to us. In fact, if you were to read this in its context, it, it says right after this that people looked at each other and said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand this? And what was worse, right after that it says, and a large number of people quit following Jesus after he said this. So I want to take you to this passage. It's got some risk in it. But boy, does it speak some truth. And here it is. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. Is that tough? I want you to think about that for a minute. What kind of mental picture does that conjure up in you? That would be an R-rated film at best. Right? I mean, that's some significant violence. What's Jesus talking about? He says, but anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person up at the last day for my flesh is food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Whoa, now we get to what he's really saying. This is not literal But yet there's something in this that becomes so meaningful and powerful for us. Because what he's really saying is, as long as I'm the guy out here, as long as I'm your Bible answer guy that you go to, I'm going to go to church because I've got questions in my life. And I think if I go to Jesus, he can tell me the truth about those. As long as Jesus remains out here, then he's just your sort of religious go-to guy. And Jesus said, you can't leave me out here because I don't change anybody's life out here. What you got to do is you got to take me inside. Am I making sense? And so Jesus said, you got to look at me as the stuff that you live from, that you get life from. And I'm so glad that he gave us a symbol that's actually internal. 
Because in a moment, you and I are going to go to the communion tables and we're going to pick up a piece of bread. And he said, that represents my flesh. And I want you to eat it. You know what that means? I want you to take it into your mouth, into your body. I want you to chew it up and I want you to swallow it because I want it to be in you. And then I want you to take one of the cups of juice and I want you to drink it. Why? Because I want me in you. He goes on to say, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I, where? In him. I live because the living Father who sent me in the because of the living Father who sent me in the same way anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will what? Live forever. So when you and I go to the tables today, take a moment, pause and think. I'm taking into me Jesus Christ. And in the same way that the bread is entering my body, and in the same way that the, that the, the, the cup is in, the grape juice is entering my body, so I am asking the living Christ to come and be in me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, that we could have you living in us is just amazing. Something we don't deserve. Certainly something we don't feel worthy of. We don't feel good enough to have that. We certainly don't feel like we belong there. And yet, the truth is, you've reversed all of that. And the answer is yes, we do. So we now go to the tables. And we eat the bread, we drink the juice, and we feed on you. Would you come into us as we partake? pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you somewhere in your notes just to write these two simple words, okay? Write the words, in Christ. We talked about Christ coming to live in us, but we also have to talk about us deciding to live in Christ. I want to take us to one passage of Scripture. Before I do that, I have a couple of things I want to say to you. And the first is the exercise that I'm going to take us through, which is just a simple biblical exercise. My fear in taking us here is that what I'm going to show us is so simple that we'll just dismiss it out of hand. And think, man, anybody can do that. They can't change my life. Oh, time out. Do you think God would design a solution that only a few people could do? Can a God would he be? No, in fact, most often in life, the answers to the struggles we face are actually simple. They're easily grasped because God wants them to be available to everyone. But here's the key. The key is you have to take something so simple, anyone can understand it. And you have to apply it in your life consistently over time. Okay? So I'm going to take us through an exercise. It's pretty short. But it's really important for you to know. 
Now, the second thing I want to talk to you about before we go back to the doors is the power of a key. 16-year-old kid walks into the house. He doesn't care whether it's mom or dad, but he has one question. Can I have the what? <laughs> the keys to the car. Why does he want the keys? That, that, that same kid has actually held those keys before, correct? But there's a whole new context for the keys. Because what's in his or her wallet? Driver's license. And the key represents the power not just to open the car and not just to start the car, but get in and take that car wherever he or she wants to go. I want you to get that. Because God has given to you and me the keys to either open these doors or shut them. Keys have the power to do both, right? Okay? And we're going to go to a passage and we're going to see three keys to closing these doors. But I don't want you to just close them because if you close them, they come open again. Okay? But you're going to use the key to what? Lock them. Okay? So let's go to the first door and take a look at what the key is to locking it. And on the video screens you're going to see a passage of Scripture. And it's in Ephesians chapter 1. And in fact, we're going to read down through verse 7 by the time we get done with this this morning. But take a look at what it says. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united... What's the next two words? With Christ. That's why I had you write in Christ. And that's why we talked about Christ being in us. Because when Christ is in us and we are in Christ, we are united where? With Christ. And then he starts to lay it out for us. And here it is. Even before he made the world, God loved us and what's the next word? Chose us. Where? In Christ. You know what that means? Well, we're going to read it. It means I belong because God chose me in Christ. I'm going to give you a chance to finish writing that down. Because then I want you to, as parents would say, you know, look at me. Make, make our eyes meet, all right? I want you to get this. Because before God made anybody, He chose His team. Got it? You remember standing in line as a kid and it was time to choose up teams? You remember waving your hand like you were an idiot trying to get chosen? Right? Oh, pick me, pick me, pick me. Here's the message God wants you to get. He already picked you. You're in. You're in. He chose you. He chose you to be redeemed by His Son. He chose you to be cleansed by His Son. He chose you to spend eternity with Him. He chose you. I mean, friends, this is better than winning the lottery. 
You know the message that started out, you're not? You know what it, the truth is? I am. I am chosen. I don't care what anybody says about me. I don't care what the bully said about me out on the playground. I don't care the message that my mom gave to me, the message my dad gave to me, the message that that over-demanding teacher gave to me. I don't care what my boss says. I don't care what anybody says. God says, I am what? Chosen. You know when I've been chosen by God, I don't care who rejects me. Amen. Say about me whatever you want to say. So you know something? It's important for me to get that key out. Every time that voice comes that says you don't belong, and what should I say? Oh yeah, not to that person, okay? But to that voice. (laughs) Oh yeah? Well, get this. I am chosen. I'm in. I'm on God's team. I'm in. Now, Paul's not done writing because he's going to address door number two. Now, what did door, what did door number two say? You're not what? You're not good enough. Look at the next part of this passage. It says this, and I'm going to just going to read the underlined part. In Christ, God chose that I would be holy and what? Without fault in His eyes. You got that? Look at this. I'm good enough because God sees me as faultless in Christ. Have you ever wanted to be perfect? Of course you have. I'm reminded of the lady who said, I spent all my life looking for Mr. Wright and I found him. I just didn't realize his last name was Always. Yeah. There's something in all of us that says, I want to be faultless. I want to live without the baggage of fear that that somehow I'm not good enough and that people will discover who I really am. You know the great thing about God? Listen, hear me. God does not see you as you were. Get this. God doesn't even see you as you are. God sees you as you will be when He gets done with you. And you know what? How does he see you? Without fault. Because when God gets done with you, how will you be? Without fault. You say, but pastor, what about the stuff I struggle with? Well, whoa, time out. Anything you struggle with, Jesus has already died and paid the penalty for that, right? And God's Spirit is in you, and he's working on you to change those things, and you are getting better day by day because you're being transformed by the power of God in your life. God says, I've got that handled, and I don't look at you as you were, even as you are today, but I see you as you're going to be. And so when that voice comes, and it says to me, but Ron, you're not good enough. You're underperforming. Or are you kidding me? You actually had that kind of attitude and you're the pastor. Get a pastor, are you? When I get that voice, it's important for me to go close that door to that voice. And it's important for me to lock it because the voice I need to hear is the voice that says, I am good enough. 
because God sees me as faultless, and that's where I'm going to be. I'm on my way there now. Paul's not done writing. He's got door number three that he wants to address in our lives. And this is the door that says, you're not what? You're not worthy. And here's what Paul says about that. He goes on to say, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. I want you to underline the the word adopt, and then I want you to underline or circle the words his own family. Now it goes on to say, this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. (laughs) You know, when you adopt somebody, you don't have to do that, correct? That's a choice that you make. We don't like the reality of this, but you know, when you get pregnant and you have a kid, there is a no return policy on those. Got it? You don't get to choose what they look like, and you can't send them back. But the deal is with adoption, you don't have to do that. You actually get to see the product before you adopt. Which is why I think God chose the word adopt. And He adopted us into his own personal family. And what's more, after he made the choice, he didn't go, man, that was stupid. Look at him. What does it say? He wanted to do it, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to what? His dear son. There you have the in Christ again. And here's what it means. I'm worthy because in Christ I am a treasured member of God's personal family. You know, as I was praying about this and going over it in my own heart and mind, preparation for this teaching, you know the passage that God kept bringing to my mind? And it's actually a passage about Jesus. But God was saying, Ron, the same thing I said to Jesus, I'm saying to you. You are are my son. You are my son. You are my son. All of those. Not because, like Jesus, I miraculously fathered you, but you are my son because in Jesus I adopted you and I made you mine. And in the same way that you enjoyed it when your own dad, your earthly father, would put his arm around you and say, you're my son, I love you. So much more. God says, I long for the day when you can be with me in eternity. And I put my arm around you. And I say, You are my son. Is that in? You don't get any more in than that. That's awesome. Now I want you to think just for a minute 
about the emotional baggage that you and I sometimes carry. Is it worth carrying that stuff? No. The reason you came to church this morning is because God wanted to do a little surgery. Okay? He wanted to cut that stuff loose. So I want you to live baggage free. Because there is a fourth door, and that's what we're going to close with. And you'll notice that the fourth door looks better than all the others, correct? Because that's actually the door of life. Okay? There's another reason why this is, this is the, the, this particular door, because behind the door is what? It's the cross. Because this is the door of life. And there are three verses of Scripture that are on it. Two of them we've talked about in this series before. And, and, and the first one is John 8, 32, which says, You will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. John 8, 36 says, Now, if the Son, meaning Jesus, if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. That's the in Christ business. I want you to see how Paul finishes out this passage. Take a look. The very last sentence. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. You know what that is? Living baggage free. He purchased our freedom with what? The blood of his son, which is why the cross is behind that. You know what the key is in life? This is the really simple part. The key is keeping some doors closed and the right door open. Okay? And so I, I want you to learn this week. Okay? So these three simple things. I am chosen. I am holy. I am adopted. Got it? Can you write those down on your margin? I am chosen. I am holy. And I am adopted. And you know the great thing about the keys, okay? You use the keys to keep these doors locked, and you use the key to open that door and keep it open. Everybody on board with that? Let's see how we can apply this this week. Three, very, four actually, very practical ways. Number one, we can rehearse these three truths this week until we have them memorized. Is that a good thing? Yeah. Okay. I want you to know them by heart. If you get really motivated, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 1 and memorize verses 3 through 7. Is that a powerful passage? Extremely powerful. Okay. Then number two, I want you to silence. I will silence my emotional baggage because every time that voice speaks to me, I'm going to reach back and I'm going to shut that door and I'm going to lock it because I'm going to declare the truth to that lie. And when the lie says you don't belong, the truth says I am what? Chosen. That's right. I'm in. I'm good. Okay? And then number three, making the choice to become a Christian. Friends, you can't take this journey on your own. This is a journey that, what was the words I had you write in the margin? In whom? In Christ. You have to be a Christian in order for the power of God to come into your life, in order for Christ to come into your life. You can't get Christ in your life by, drink, by eating a little bread and drinking some grape juice on your own. You're going to make the choice to be in Christ. And I'm praying this morning that everyone in our audience who hasn't made that choice will make it this morning, right here. And if you, and if you check that, uh, by the way, I should tell you this as well, I'm sorry. On your car, on this Connect card, there's a place on the back side of it, on the Connect card, where you can indicate these choices. Please, 
indicated here because we want to pray with you about this in the decisions that you make, walking with you in that. And if you check that you're choosing to become a Christian, you will get a phone call this week from one of us on staff, and we want to sit down and go over the spiritual truths of becoming a Christian so that this is not just some sort of cavalier decision that you don't know anything about. We want to guide you in that so it becomes life-changing for you. And then last of all, some of us sitting here this morning realize, you know, I became a Christian at one point, but my life has been miles from Jesus. And I need to return to what I know to be right. And I'm recommitting my life to Christ today. I want to pray. You do your business with that. Lord Jesus, would you just speak into our lives right now? Our prayer, Lord Jesus, is that we could hear bags dropping all over the place of us just embracing your truth for your truth is greater than any lie any of us could could have spoken into our lives so would you help us to respond this morning for those of us who are not christians lord would you help this to be the morning where we go you know some i don't want to miss out on this anymore I want to step into what I've been chosen for. I want to step into that relationship with Christ. I want to step into taking this journey because I realize that I was not created to carry emotional baggage and guilt and all the other things that come along with it, but I was created actually to live baggage-free. For those of us who are returning, Lord, thanks for being a kind and gracious God and not seeing all the bad things that we've done but being willing to accept us because you're so rich in kindness and grace that you purchased our freedom with your own blood and we return for that. We pray it all together in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.